fulfilled. Our hope will be accomplished. The uh, love will endure forever and ever. And thank you for your great love for your people, for your church, and for the world itself. And Lord, we thank you that you are an almighty God. There is none like you. And today as we come to worship you, thank you for the freedom we enjoy to worship you. Thank you for uh, giving us the freedom to meet here in this campus. And we thank you for our country. We pray for our leaders that they would have wisdom to seek your heart. And Lord, we also thank you for our military men and women around the world and for those who are believers that they would have a clear, strong testimony of your grace. And Lord, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ in lands which are persecuting them, oppressing them. We pray for them. We think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in mainland China and uh, things that are occurring in Hong Kong and Macau right now. We pray, Lord, for them and pray they'd stand firm for the grace of the good news of Jesus Christ and they would be peacemakers. And Lord, thank you for your word today. Pray that you would teach us. Uh, We know that your word tells us that each believer is indwelt by your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us and guides us as our comforter. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be sensitive and yielded to what your Spirit is doing uh, in and through this message with us today. For it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This little hot John, I'm getting a little echo back here. Thank you. Starting to, I was sounding a little bit like Noah, you know, or or God speaking to Noah, but that's okay. Uh, I'm glad uh, Wes gave you a little heads up. I did not know that that was from the Latin. Thank you, Wes, uh, because today we're going to have a little uh, Latin course. Let me see if I can get the right one. Yeah, Latin 101. We're going to learn a little conversational Latin today that you can use this week. And I'm sure you'll be thrilled to know that. And since this is a special day in one sense, this is the first one. Pater familias. Can anybody guess what that means? You should know this one. (laughs) Now, if you would watch, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, the film... You would know that George Clooney's character, when he's talking to his girls, the little warvy gals, uh, he, had, he had impresses upon them that he is the paterfamilias and nobody else. And so the paterfamilias is the father of the family. And so if you still have children at home, you can march around this afternoon and uh, you can tell your children that you're the paterfamilias. Uh, of course, don't forget the mater familias. She has a lot more invested in those children than you did. And we're not even going to talk about childbirth, okay? We're not going to go there today. We're going to have a, a few more Latin phrases. Uh, ad induum quo nemo ante iat. Um, I can pretty much slaughter the English language and pronunciations, so don't expect perfection when I pronounce Latin. What does that mean? Well, let's see here. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Where's that from? Star Trek. Okay, all right. Come on. Come on. Get with you here. Okay, here's the next one. This is my all-time favorite. Quando omni fluncus moritate. And it uh, is the one I use. It's probably a life motto for me, which means when all else fails, play dead. (laughs) Now that comes from the Red Green Show. If you're familiar with the Red Green Show, that's the motto of the Possum Lodge. And uh, I've adopted that uh, with my children. Uh, I just tell them that, quando omni funcus moritate, when they ask me to do stuff. So anyway, that's that one. Uh, Io quantitas magna fructuntorum est. Let's see. 
yes, for you in the agribusiness, you need to memorize this one, especially when it comes harvest time. Yes, that is a very large amount of corn. And so you want to mark that one down. Uh, let's see. Calvo tu prius es nihil camatoro. This is for all of us to remember. Nothing is uglier than a bald man with hair. I think they're referring to those little hair hats, you know. So that's that one. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to read this one because I would just slaughter it terribly. But here's one for you, fashion conscious. Those green pants go so well with that pink shirt and that plaid jacket. So I'm sure that the early Caesars used this particular phrase in Rome. Uh, what's next here? Caesar severet remandares. We know it's about Caesar, right? Okay, and you can use this one uh, if either your children are giving you trouble or neighbors or relatives. This is a good comeback. If Caesar were alive, you'd be chained to an oar. So that's another one. Uh, let's see. Okay, and this one you should know. Cogito ergo cum. Uh, any guesses? Something about thinking and being and all of that. Okay, it is, uh, I think, therefore I am. The philosopher René Descartes was the one who popularized this. He basically said, if you're a thinking person, then you exist. And it was a big philosophical argument at the time. I won't go into all of that either. Uh, but then the last one, this is the last one, I promise. Uh, if you could read letters between Christians of 100 or 200 years ago, you would see after the signature at the bottom of the page, you see the letters DV, DV. And uh, you might wonder what that is. I think it's a great pro practice. I'm going to try to start doing that uh, with texts and email and any form of communication. Deo volente is the Latin, and it stands for if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, Deo volente. And uh, there's something about God's will. If you were listening as Bill read the passage for us this morning out of the book of James, you noticed it talked a little bit about if the Lord wills. And uh, so if you've noticed that, there's uh, generally three basic issues when we talk about God's will. And as Christians write about it, debate about God's will, and have different views on the will of God, uh, there's at least three basic issues that are involved. Let me list those for you. First, there must be a willingness to do God's will when we discover it. There must be a willingness to act upon God's will when we discover it in the word of God. Uh, secondly, we must realize, it's God, realize that God's will is always in harmony with his word and his character as revealed in the word. I don't know how many times people have said when they're doing something completely opposite of what the Bible commands believers to do, well, it's God's will for me. It must be his will for me. Well, no, it's not. And so secondly, we must realize his will is always in harmony with his revealed word and his character as revealed in the word. And thirdly, we must come earnestly to him in prayer, seeking guidance. These steps will lead us directly to the will of God. Well, James has a concern here in the letter that we have uh, been studying through. Remember, James is not a doctrinal book. It is an ethical book. It's about ethical living. In other words, living out what we say we believe. When we say we believe something, we live it out. We should be living it out. And James is writing uh, early, probably about 36 A.D., 
And in one of the first New Testament book that was written, writing to uh, Jewish believers in Christ and the Messiah who were scattered because of persecution that we read about in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. But his concern is that uh, he wants us to follow God's will. And he gets specific here in this instance. And he says, uh, basically, we are arguing uh, from the greater to the lesser, if God is good, if God is all-knowing, then God has a will for his people and has a will for your life and that he knows all about you. He counts the number of hairs on our heads. That's a metaphor for knowing everything about you more than you know about yourself. And we must recognize, too, that he is God and we are not. That's been one of James's uh, main things through chapter 4, especially of this little book of James We must recognize that we do not control very much in our lives. When you really think about it, what are the things that you can list that you absolutely do control? Uh, We can help in different ways, but we do not totally control our health. We can try to exercise, eat healthy, and all of that, but uh, we do not control our health. We do not control the choices and decisions that other people make, even those closest to us. But we need to recognize that Before God, he is calling us to follow him, and that's what James is about, is that we would be Christ-like in our ethical living, in the way we live out our faith. He begins in chapter 4, verse 13, come now, come now. Uh, James is the only one to use that phrase in the New Testament, and actually the Old Testament prophets would use it in addressing the people. Come now, people, come now. Uh, those of you who are here. And it it means now listen. It means uh, to listen carefully. It's a colloquial phrase that only James uses in the New Testament, and it basically prods us, it goads us uh, to pay attention and to uh, make sure that we are really listening. And in verse 13, we have four sections in this paragraph that Bill read for us. Verse 13, we have the speech of presumption, the speech of presumption. He says, come now in verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. In the context, James, in addressing these Jewish believers, uh, ethnically Jewish who were scattered around, there were many Jewish traders and businessmen who would travel and uh, much like businessmen travel today, except they just didn't have Boeing jets to go from one end of the country to the other. But we see four things about this speech of presumption, this speech uh, that is being given here. He says, to those of you who say today or tomorrow, well, he's talking about the possibility today or tomorrow will do that. It's good to have options, isn't it? It's good not to be too rigid in our calendar and our schedule, and that's what this person is saying. James is quoting what he has heard from other people and believers, by the way, who are saying this, and it uh, speaks of a place to go to such and such a city. So there's a possibility today or tomorrow I'll go. There'll be a place to the city. There'll be a plan, and I'll spend a year there and engage in business. Okay, there's a plan. And what good businessman doesn't have a business plan? Okay, and then finally the profit, and we will make a profit. And so we see in these four areas, we see one who is self-reliant, that he's determining his own path, He is self-assertive, I'm going to go to this city. He's self-confident, I'll engage in business, I'll stay a year. And he's self-centered, I'm going to make a profit for my business or for me. Uh, So what is really wrong here? You know, it sounds like the American way, doesn't it? It sounds like what many of us do day to day. What is exactly wrong? Put simply, this man has left God out of his business. 
He has left God out of his thinking. He is arrogant and boasting in what he is going to do. Self-reliant, self-assertive, self-confident, self-centered. He believes, as most of us moderns believe, that we are the master of our own fate. He approaches life as if he is in control. And note the phrase back up a bit where he says, You who say, this is a tip-off. This man does not only make his plans, he brags about them to others. He thinks nothing can stop him now. He presumes that he controls his own future. He presumes his plans can't fail. He presumes his own success. And if you study the book of Proverbs, this man is a fool. This man is a fool, not because he is planning not because he has got a desire to further his business that God has blessed him with, but he is a fool because he has left God out of the equation, completely out. Not because he has dreams for the future, but because he has left God out. Not because he desires to make a profit, but because he has left God out. One poet has said that your arms are too short to box with God. I like that. And I have discovered that time and time again. Our arms are too short to box with God. We are not the masters of our fate, contrary to popular poetry. We are not the captain of our souls. The sooner we recognize that, the easier and more blessed life will go in that sense. Secondly, in verse 14, not only in verse 13 do we have the speech of presumption, there's the statement of reality. Now, James chimes in, and he says in verse 14, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's a statement of reality in verse 14. First of all, there's uncertainty of life. No one, none of us knows what tomorrow holds. Uh, sometimes we forget how fragile life can be. Just one phone call and things can be just, uh, just destroyed in where and what we are. It could be changed forever. Things happen quickly. Uh, as we, were, I was, we were in Montana for a couple of days, driving back yesterday on the freeway, and I was thinking about this passage and realized that, you know, if that semi just forced me off the road, it could be all done. Uh, you know, a heart attack, uh, unexpected things. People are saying, uh, you know, from one heart attack, then the next thing people say is, doesn't he look natural? You know, and that's, that's, that's the, the case of it. It's uncertainty of life. Then it's the, va- the, the, the brevity of life. He says a vapor. It's the idea of steam coming off of a tea kettle. It disappears. It dissipates so quickly. I remember on this Father's Day, my dad passed away nine years ago, and he was nine, almost 92 when he passed away. And uh, he'd lived through the Depression. He had... In fact, uh, he, he had uh, traveled widely with his parents as a child and lived through the Depression, uh, served in World War II in the Army, and then raised a family and all the things he did in his life. And towards the end, when he was in the nursing home, I asked him, Dad, uh, you know, at that time he was about 90, just turned 91. I said, Dad, uh, what do you think of your long life? And he said, it went by in a flash. It was instantaneous, and I have heard that from many others who have been blessed with many, many years. James 4.14 reminds us that life itself is like a vapor that just appears for a moment and vanishes away. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if we live 70, 80, or 90 years, a vapor begins to disappear the moment we are born. This life is limited, and what is positive about that is Psalm 139 tells us that 
God himself, who is righteous, just, all loving, makes no mistakes, numbers our days, even before we are formed in the womb. So the question is, is to what extent is your life directed by the knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming back? That one day, the reality is we will face him face to face. Uh, when I was in Montana, I had a couple, about an hour before I had an appointment over there, and I ran up to the cemetery, Conrad Cemetery, right there in Kalispell, where my parents are, are, are buried, their bodies, their tents. And I looked at the headstones again, and I thought both of them lived into their 90s. And it was like a vapor, and, it, and, 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 and yet now they are with Christ, seeing him face to face. I cannot imagine, but I look forward to that personally. And so we should be motivated by the, by the certainty of that future event. There's the uncertainty of this life, brevity of our life, and we're not here very long. Uh, <clears throat> I ran across the website with this uh, motto. On a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. British playwright George Bernard Shaw wryly observed, the statistics of death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. And uh, so, he, he, you know, he forgot about, uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ in his little statement there that he rose again. If you want to know what life is like, uh, go to the cemetery and look at any headstone. You know, there's a name. There's two dates with a dash in between. And I've always thought it's wrong to summarize our whole earthly existence with that little dash between two dates. Uh, the sportscaster, Dan Patrick, he once remarked about an injured football player. He said these words. He said, he's listed as day-to-day, but then again, aren't we all? Unquote. Isn't that interesting insight from a, you know, a, a very famous sportscaster? Uh, there's a better way than arrogance and a better way of presumption in our lives. Uh, to, we know everything, and we should say if the Lord wills. That's critical because we don't know what the Lord's will is concerning our future, let alone the rest of today or tomorrow. Uh, a wise man once said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And uh, it's not wrong to have plans, but here is the solution in verse 15. Look again at verse 15. Instead, okay, this is in contrast with what he said in verse 14. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. If the Lord wills. That's the solution. Instead of always focusing on the plan, the plan's not bad. It's good to have plans, but we need to include God in those plans. And that's the Dio Volente, the Latin, uh, that if God so wills. This is not a magic charm, if you say these words, or a magic incantation. It's more about the realistic attitude of the heart to include God. Because we see in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, uh, in fact, in, in Acts chapter 18, he's in Ephesus, if you recall that passage, and the elders ask him to stay longer, the believers ask him to stay longer, and he declined because he had other plans. But he said this in verse 21, I will come back to you again if God wills, Deo Volente. That's how we should all talk, make our plans, set our schedule, leave the outworking of it in God's hands. I might come back, I want to come back, I intend to come back, but only if God wills. The great apostle didn't know his own future, how can we know ours? Proverbs 16:9 reminds us that in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. A man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Notice it doesn't say God directs his steps, although that is true in Proverbs 3, 6. Uh, 
in the King James Version, but that God determines his steps is a very strong word that speaks of God's sovereignty and control of everything in the universe. No, we are not robots, but God has determined a life course for us. Perhaps you've heard the saying, man proposes, but God disposes. We can make all of our plans. You can have your life mapped out, but in the end, God determines each step that you take. It doesn't relieve us from the responsibility of living out our lives before Christ and making those choices. Rather, we are consciously to place all our plans and hopes under the lordship of Christ. This is where lordship is so important. James is talking about Jesus Christ being the Lord of our lives, that we consider him in all the things we do and all the steps we take. At heart, the sin of this person that James is talking about, and all of us basically, is committing the sin of arrogance, of thinking that they, rather than God, are in the driver's seat. And so remember that solution. Keep God in the forefront of your mind. And then in verses 16 and 17, fourthly, there's a serious warning. There's a serious warning here. Look again at 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Uh, Boasting is foolish when you don't control your own future, when you're not sure that even your plans for tomorrow will be carried out. It's foolish and evil because boasting puts you in the position of God. And last time I looked, I think that's called heresy and blasphemy. It is a sin to act as if you will never die. That is the ultimate presumption. Uh, We all like to feel indispensable, and we are indispensable until we're not. In fact, it was uh, the French president, Charles de Gaulle, the hero of France during World War II, once remarked, the graveyards are filled with indispensable men, and uh, to remember that. And again, he is referring to the tongue. It's interesting that all through chapter 4, remember, it's been about our speech and our tongue, and here it's about boasting and arrogance. And again, the tongue is what gets us into trouble, isn't it? James rebuked his readers, these believers in Christ, who are living with that attitude. They derive joy from thinking they could control their own destiny. And here's a picture of the self-made man taking credit for only what God can do and what God has given him. Really, boasting is unrealistic in our own achievements, what we have done and accomplished, because it betrays an attitude that puts us in God's place. It is evil, he tells us here. And in these verses, James presents four arguments that show the foolishness of ignoring God's will, the complexity of life in verse 13, the uncertainty of life in verse 14, the brevity of life in 14, and our frailty, the frailty of people in verse 16. So doing the right thing. In verse 17, there's a therefore. Uh, There's a therefore. That means everything that went before, he's going to conclude it. He's going to summarize it in this one verse. It says, therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and uh, to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Uh, Now, the Roman Catholics, uh, my understanding, have what they call sins of commission, which we commit Uh, knowledgeably, and then sins of omission, things we leave out. And they're both sins. And I have found over the years that uh, many evangelicals, Christians, think that if they don't commit a sin, but yet they harbor anger or uh, unforgiveness in their heart, but they don't say anything, that that's okay. But that's that sin of omission, the sin of omission. This principle has wide application to us. James 
concludes the paragraph by reminding us that sin consists of not just doing the things we should not do, but also failing the things that we should do. Similarly, James' readers are now responsible for putting into action all these attitudes that he has just set forth in chapter 4. The person that James is picturing for us here is a person who is committed the sin of omission. He failed to acknowledge the place that God occupies in life. In concluding the discussion uh, of this conflict, James reminds us to put into practice what we know. And uh, they should avoid presumption, self-confidence, submit ourselves, and failure to do that is called sin. Uh, One writer said they cannot take refuge in the plea that they have done nothing positively wrong, as Scripture makes abundantly clear. Sins of omission are as real and serious as sins of commission. Interestingly, in every major thought portion of James, all five chapters, the final verse is like a proverbial saying, which is a summary of everything he has said in that chapter. And they were uh, done that way because, remember, the people he was writing to didn't have copies of God's word in their own hands. They listened to this being read to them or preached to them, uh, but they did not have uh, the book of James in everybody's hands. And so, These final verses were ones that they would memorize and it would summarize the teaching and help them remember what went on before. So verse 17, to to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And that is a summary of chapter 4. And if you go through James and look at each ending verse of each chapter, you'll see it's like a proverbial saying which summarizes the whole chapter. And so we live our lives, make our plans, that's great but make them in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Make your plans, set your goals, dream your dreams. Nobody wants to stop you from doing that and then commit it all to the Lord. And that is the message of this passage. Uh, After World War II, there was a man named Bob Pierce. He founded a Christian organization called World Vision. It was a humanitarian agency that helped hurting people in the name of Jesus Christ. And near the end of his life, when Bob Pierce was asked how he accounted for everything that God had done in and through him and through world vision, he replied that early on he learned to pray a very simple prayer. And it went like this, quoting Bob Pierce, Lord, I give you the right to change my agenda anytime you like without informing me in advance. Amen. Okay. Uh, I want to conclude with this book. Um, I read this book this week. Uh, I, I got it, it kind of got my curiosity. It's entitled Finishing Our Course with Joy. It's written by J.I. Packer. If you know of J.I. Packer, he's a, a, a writer. He wrote Knowing God and many, many other books. But J.I. Packer, uh, the subtitle is Guidance from God When Engaging with Our Aging. Uh, now, if you are retired, this is a plug for this book. You should buy this book and read it. It takes about an hour and 15 minutes. And it's got big print, so don't get scared off. Uh, but it's so succinct. It really, I, it changed the way I view my aging process. If you are about to retire, buy this book. If you are just starting your life as a 20-year-old, read this book. It will transform you. Because we live in America where we talk about our vocation, and what we are talking about is our jobs. But that is a hijacking of another Latin term, vocare, which means vocation in English, but vocari means the call. Your job can change throughout your career, but we so closely identify with our work that we fail to remember that we are called out a higher calling. It doesn't matter if 
One year you are a janitor at the school, and the next year you're working at Boeing. You know, all those things, that's not your calling. Your calling is to be faithful in how God is providing you, but you have a calling above just a mere job. But J.I. Packer is talking about it, and he was talking about uh, a hymn that was written in 1674 by a man named Thomas Ken. And one of the phrases is in that Ken, in his hymn, is live each day as if thy last. Live each day as if thy last. And uh, Packer unpacks that short phrase, uh, and three thoughts emerge. First of all, live for God one day at a time. Whatever long-term plans we have made, we need to get into the habit of planning each day's business in advance, either, either first thing in the morning or better, I think, the day before. And glorifying God in our plans should be our constant goal. Secondly, live in the present moment. In other words, be present, be here. Get into the way of practicing God's present, more specifically Christ's presence, according to his promise to be with us always in Matthew 28, and cultivate the divine companionship. And finally, thirdly, live ready to go with Christ when he comes for you, because none of us know, do we? Jesus' words to the faithful 11 are a fact, in fact, a promise to all his faithful disciples of every age. Uh, This is John 14, 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now remember that. People ask me, where's heaven? I say, wherever Jesus is, that's where we're going. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so finishing our course with joy. In business terms, since this is talking about a businessman or a business person, in business terms, yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, and today is the only cash you have. So make sure Jesus Christ is part of your plans. I want to close with Thomas Merton's prayer. It's a very famous prayer, 15 lines, and it comes from his book, Thoughts on Solitude. And it's actually known now as the Merton Prayer. But I thought it was appropriate to end this message with, if you would pray with me. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And to know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know anything about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will ever lead me face to face, and you will never leave me to my perils alone. Amen. And amen. All right.